0: This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Chris Marcourt. Chris is the touring drummer with the multi-platinum country superstar, Cole Swindell. Originally from a small town in Illinois, Chris attended the Berklee College of Music before his eventual move to Nashville, Tennessee. Chris has created a career in the music industry on his own terms, all while staying focused on the big picture and things that are most important to him. Chris navigated his way through the Nashville scene playing clubs in the lower Broadway scene to working with artists like Craig Campbell and Cole Swindell. So if you want to support what Zach and I do here on the podcast, you can join Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, where as little as a dollar a month gets you access to all this educational content that we've been creating over the years with past guests. All these things are really helpful and usable on the gig or whatever the situation is, and we're always adding new content. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through our PayPal account. You can find that at WorkingDrummer.net. So Chris is one of those guys that I've known since he moved to town and is another example of a young player that comes to town and does some great things within the country music scene of Nashville, whether it's uh, the stuff that he was doing on Broadway or then eventually working with Craig Campbell, and then now with Cole Swindell for so long. I had a chance to see him this summer, uh, out on tour, and it was great to to connect again with him, see him play. And it just it just felt just the perfect time to sit down and talk about what he's been doing for, you know, the last 10 years with Cole and what is next for Chris. And you'll find in this conversation how much thought Chris puts into these things now with a growing family and some realities that are coming down the pike and it's just kind of a refreshing conversation it goes a bit long like most of my conversations do but i hope you stick with us there's just many nuggets of wisdom coming from chris and it's just so great to reconnect with him and i hope you enjoy my conversation with chris marquardt I want to talk about Cole, but I want to talk about Berkeley. Sure. I think I knew you went to Berkeley, uh, but I had forgotten and I saw that you went there. Tell me about that experience.
1: Uh, Yeah. So it's funny because I don't really, I don't advertise that a whole lot. You know, it's not one of those things like, hey, I went to Berkeley. And I think at the point in time where I moved to town, there seemed to be not the most positive reception to that. So I always kind of just kept it close to the vest. Um, I can't say for certain, but it felt to me like there were some folks that came down and thought that that would give them immediate credibility, or they should be getting gigs just because they yep. went to school here, right? Right. And that's not the case. You know, you you still are going to have to pay your dues, and you're still going to have to work your butt off down here if you want to make you know a living in this industry. Uh, so I was super fortunate. I had a small network of friends that all moved down, uh, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I got a gig at paradise park by accident. Um, my buddy's roommate turned in a demo on like a Tuesday and they called them back that night. We're like, yeah, Hey, we need somebody to fill the Thursday slot. And he's like, I don't have a band. (laughs) (laughs) So our friend called us, said, Hey, can you back up my buddy? We played that gig and it was actually really crazy, um, that night I met Martin McDaniel. Okay. I met Drew Hassel mm-hmm. and I met Sean Fuller from FGL. And now I think he's out with Tyler Hubbard yeah. and, and Sean's had great gigs. But how crazy is that? Like my first night downtown playing, we play the early slot. Those guys play the late slot. And I'm going, holy cow. I'm, I'm like way out, you know, <laughs> way out over my head on this stuff. Um, what year was it? And this was 2008. yeah so but to go back and answer your question my experience at berkeley was great um there was so much talent there that unfortunately you'll probably never hear you know i just it's just crazy but there are guys that just play circles around me you know Mm -hmm. and and in a weird way i was very secure in that i was okay with it that was not my jam You know, Mm -hmm. I love, I grew up on rock and roll music. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the guy that played songs, you know, um, I love Latin. I love jazz. I love all these different genres, but that was never a thing to me that I got a lot of satisfaction out of playing. Maybe some of it was almost over my head in terms of like conceptions or, um, Understanding, I can listen to it and appreciate the hell out of did it. Did you work it on like, it in
0: the practice room?
1: I did a little bit, but honestly, I sought out guys that were a little more, quote unquote, meat and potatoes mm-hmm. in terms of the drum labs there and the private instructors there. You know, I studied with Rod Morgenstein for a long yeah. time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Dixie Dregs fame and winger and uh, uh, Steve Morse. And Rod was just – unbelievable you know uh, he's a sweetheart of a human being um our lessons were incredibly is he still there deep i don't know i'm not actually sure he i had him on the podcast did you really Uh, yeah probably Uh, six years ago and he was teaching yeah at um he had he had been in in new york city and i think he commuted quite a bit up to boston mm -hmm. so i don't know if he's still there or not but rod was amazing um there's another guy named Larry Finn who played in the Al Cooper funk band. Mm. And I studied with him quite a bit too. And Larry was awesome. Uh, He had this um, kind of theory of like the physicality behind a drum set. Yeah. So he would, his big thing was internalizing your time, you know, and there's a a lot of talk about like playing ahead of the beat, playing behind the beat, that kind of stuff. Right. And Larry's kind of principle behind the kit was that, Just because you want something to feel laid back or feel on top doesn't mean that you're really actually manipulating the time. And he would kind of give us examples where he's playing to the click. And I mean, it's just dead on it. You can't hear it. It's Mm -hmm, buried. mm -hmm. But he'd play something and he'd go, now, this feels like it's on top, right? Because dynamically, he's changing the way he's approaching the attacks. Yes. Yes. And this would feel like it's behind because dynamically, he's changing the way he's approaching those attacks but you could never find the click track. It was just buried, you know? And so we talked about the physicality of the drum set. uh, And he had these, what he, he would write these etudes where a portion of the piece would feel great. Let's just say it was a hundred BPM. It sits awesome at a hundred, but then you'd go to something else. And the way that the notation was written, it felt like you were falling out of your chair, just flying At 100 BPM. Yeah. And then the next section would be something that felt painfully slow. So this was all the backing track.
2: Yeah. influencing
1: Mm. that feel. Yeah. And then, but he would have, it It would even be just different grooves, right? It'd be just a percussive piece. And the point of all of it was to be aware of the the physical movement within yourself while you're playing these different things, you know, because the tempo doesn't change. Yeah. But... You know, one part might be in like 16th or 32nd note, you know, predominant rhythm groupings, right? The other part might be in quarter notes and the other part might be in eighths. And so, based on different tempos, a portion of that A tube would feel right at home, Mm -hmm. a portion would feel extremely fast, and a portion would feel extremely slow. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, as you're moving through eight, 12 bar, 16 bar sections, you're going from something that feels good to something that's flying to something that's slow. So, he's really trying to make you focus on your subdivisions and where you're applying those Mm -hmm. things. So that was something for me with, um, with Larry that I just loved because it really focused on the intent behind the notes.
0: You know, when you say physical was, was there something about your posture or the way you were positioned behind the kit that he worked with?
1: Not really. Okay. You know, um, No, it wasn't so much that. It was just, it was more of a, maybe an awareness physically of the the movements with, the, you know, it, that's such a hard thing, I guess, to describe. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, if you're playing 16th notes and then going down to like a quarter in one limb or something like that, right? being aware of being accurate within those subdivisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was maybe more of a physical awareness of what your body was um, doing as it relates to performance, not necessarily like posture and technique, you know, and we worked on that stuff too, but that was something from him that really focused. um, It made everybody be aware of their meter. You know, Mm -hmm. you had to have that internal pulse going. So that way, as you navigated these pieces, which, in, in, in a lot of ways felt abrupt, you know, it was like, it, it wasn't meant to be musical. It was meant to be an exercise. Yeah. You know? sure. So yeah, he, he had a lot of really great things, um, to help internalize your time.
0: It sounds and, like a good experience. A, a, a example of that is when you're playing something to a click, maybe it's a halftime thing and then yeah. you have to go to double time Yes. in the same tempo Yeah. to make that transition in time without doing one of two things, rushing and making it sound like it's dragging. Yeah. When you're you're like, I'm with the click. Why and you listen back to the recording, you're like, mm-hmm. why does it sound like it just goes way but you know, like those kinds of things. But yeah. internalizing the meter in such a way that you can make those transitions sound like butter.
1: Yeah, fluid, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the purpose. These things, they would be so abrupt in their changes. Wow. You know, you might get through an eight bar section and then it's onto this next yeah. you know, groove or onto this next feel whatever it may be you know like 100 bpm he might have you doing some sort of latin like a samba kind of thing Mm -hmm. that actually feels pretty good there right and then you get into this like really ballady rock thing and it's like okay that's kind of cool and then he'd have something that's kind of linear that might be spaced out a little bit more and it was like whoa you you kind of felt like you were falling over because it felt so slow at that tempo Mm mm-hmm so he was really trying to just make us aware of where things fall at certain tempos and then how to make those transitions fluid. That's amazing. So, does he
0: have a book out or anything like that?
1: I think he does. You could probably find it like at the Berkeley bookstore. Oh, right. Or if you just search him uh, online, I'm sure he's got some stuff. He had... His name again? Larry Finn. Larry Finn. Yeah, F-I-N-N. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, Larry was great. uh, I got I got a lot from his lessons, and I'll tell you a quick story. Um, going back to Rod Morganstein, I took a double bass lab with him. Okay, and that's something I've always struggled with. Oh, gosh, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. My left foot sucks. Um, it's just never been good. Probably will never be good. And at this point in my life, I'm like, okay, that's. Did you fine. have a double kick with Cole? Just a pedal. Yeah, just a pedal. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't use it very often. usually on like trash can endings. Mm-hmm. And there, I think there's two fills of cover songs that we've done in the past that I've used them on. And that's about the extent of it. Okay. So <laughs> if I got rid of it, nobody would notice. Right. And yeah, so, but uh, I took a double bass lab uh, with Rod Morgenstein. And I remember getting up to the final. We were, I think everybody in the class was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. You know, he had different patterns that he wanted at three different tempo groupings. And, uh, it was, it was pretty intensive. And we got to the exam day, got into the classroom and Rod had like a bunch of pizzas and a couple, two liters of soda or whatever out. And he goes, all right, everybody sit down. Um, you guys have worked your butts off all semester. There's no exam today, but I want you to keep you know, going through all this stuff, and you know, this is for you, you know, so, and he said, but grab a piece of pizza, grab a drink, and I want to talk to you guys, and he told us a story, and I don't remember the exact details behind it, but he said he got off stage, I think it was during his time with Winger, and somebody had wanted to speak to him, and he said he wasn't feeling good, or had a bad show, or something, was just kind of in a mood, and he went up on the bus, and kind of blew him off, and he sat down for a few minutes, and and I, I'm paraphrasing because this was 15 years ago, so I I, I apologize, Rod, if you hear this, uh, this story. But the whole point of it was he went back off and met this person and spoke with them for a few minutes, and they had uh, relayed to him just how much one of their songs meant. And it it, it was a, a pretty personal moment, I think, for this person that they were either – Dealing with loss or, or potentially dealing with, like, you know, depression or just, you know, harmful thoughts and things like that. And Rod went and spent some time with this person. And I, if I remember correctly, I think they have, like, stayed in touch to this day. And he told us, and this is the one thing from my time at Berkeley that I will never forget no matter how long I live, um, was that when we got out into this business, at some point, you're going to make your fame one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not the purpose of it, but that's a byproduct and it was just to rise to the occasion. You know, you're going to have days where you feel like you played like crap. Mm-hmm. You're going to have days where you just feel like crap. You're going to have a day where something pissed you off, made you mad, stakes were well done. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and, uh, but it was just to rise to the occasion. Yeah. And it was something that I never forgot uh, that it doesn't take but a minute just to make somebody's day. You know, if it's if they want a drumstick or they want an autograph or a picture or something, yeah, yeah. you know, because you don't know the backstory on what their life is. You know, you don't know no. what their week has been or their day has been, and their support of our music. You know, when we're doing these shows, they're they're paying their money to be there, but that might be more than just a concert. You know, that could be a therapy kind of thing. Wow. So you know, he he sat us down and had a conversation with us, and that was maybe one of the most. Um, thoughtful lessons I think maybe Mm -hmm. that I had there Mm -hmm. was it's not aside from the music aside from the lights aside from everything you know and and there's a lot that goes into what we do but there's a responsibility too sure there's just and, and and if you're aware of um those moments, you know, just being empathetic, right? You know, understanding the you know, the, the emotions that somebody may be going through in, in that time uh, can really make a huge impact on somebody's life. Yeah. You know?
0: And how do you extend that beyond the stage? Yeah. And and in life, normally. Yeah. On the road, see somebody driving too slow and that frustration building inside of you and thinking. I'm guilty
1: of that, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's like, let's just pause a moment. We don't know what that person's story is. They could be like my son who, when he was 16 and unsure about driving on the highway for the first time, I know he drove too slow. Yeah. You know, and give him some space, give him some grace or whatever the situation is. And when you start to adopt that view and philosophy of the world, I think there's, it just it just makes things a lot easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's amazing. I love that yeah. story,
1: man. So yeah, I, it, that's maybe not the most technical kind of thing, but that was something that, um, like I said, I'll just I'll never forget. You know, I remember I remember being so nervous for that exam. Going, <laughs> I, I can't play this stuff that fast. And uh, yeah, and then him just imparting that wisdom. You know, His and son- he's such a sweet man.
0: Yeah, so. that's a uh, man and. and if if that doesn't make you a bigger fan of Rod Morgenstein, I don't know what does. Yeah, it's uh, it, that's amazing. I, I I love that dude. That's yeah. He was he was really sweet, very generous uh, with his time, and and uh, it was really awesome. And gosh, man, that's I love that. Yeah. Well, uh, so what what brought you to to Nashville, or why Nashville over other places?
1: <clears throat> it was a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't grow up. Uh, I didn't grow up playing country music. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom listened to it, you know, in the car. I remember old Garth Brooks records and stuff like that, but that was where, kind of, where did far you back. Grow up? I grew up like 45 minutes North of Chicago. Okay. So like right up on the Illinois, Wisconsin border mm-hmm. and a uh, little town called Antioch, Illinois, yeah. which is funny. Cause we're not far from Antioch, Tennessee. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I didn't grow up playing country music. I, I think it was the summer before my last year at Berkeley. I got a phone call from a buddy and up in the Northeast, especially in that time, there was a huge demand for country music and next to no supply. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: we played in these little cover bands, at these clubs all over the Northeast and made like a killing doing it. It was Mm kind of awesome. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I got a call from uh, from a buddy of mine saying that their drummer had graduated and they still had gigs and he was moving to New Jersey and you know, would you be interested? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, you know, send me your song list. So I was home in the Chicago area that summer, shedding out all these songs. And that's kind of where I fell in love with it. I was like, wow, this is great stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the first couple of, like songs that I would go over were some of the old, uh, I say old, early 2000s Keith Urban stuff. Oh yeah. So Somebody Like You, uh, Days Go By, some stuff like that. But McHugh tracks. right? And I'm like, okay, who is this guy? Chris and, McHugh. Yes. Yeah. And I have to learn everything I can, you know, from his playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of what initially nudged me towards Nashville. And then right before I finished up uh, at Berkeley, I was talking to some friends, and they were asking you where I was going. You going to New York, LA, Nashville. Those kind of the big three. And I looked at LA. I thought, you know, that was an opportunity for me out there. I've, I've got an uncle that lives out there. I'm like, okay, you know. And I said, no, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking Nashville. And somebody said, Nashville, man, you better have your plane together if you're going to move down there. And I thought, yeah, you're right. I'm going to show you. <laughs> yeah, I just got kind of competitive, you know. Right. Uh, and so that was sort of my deal. And I moved to town. Uh, I knew a lot less than I thought I did. Yeah, don't we? Yeah, don't I, we all? I was smart enough to recognize that very quickly. Yeah. And keep my mouth shut, <laughs> and and just try to get to work. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that was back in it was 2008. So okay. This is year 15 as a Labor Day weekend. That's so, awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, man, I ran out, and you know, and I, I kind of remember that because, uh, you know, I moved here in 2000. I, I was doing some Broadway gigs probably around 2003 or so.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, off and on and then we run into each other. And, yeah. and, and uh, then, yeah. But, and, and I love that, that people are like, dude, it's almost like it's like a challenge when somebody yeah. says, you've got to have it together. Well, then that's where I need to be. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I've, I've worked too hard. To make this happen. Do you know uh, Luis Espayat, bass player?
1: I I, I know of him. I've met him once and this was probably two thousand eight or nine. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think um I think he was playing he might have even been subbing for like Jimmy Wayne, I think a long, long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So
0: great player, great dude, but it's funny, the first time we ever played together, we were doing this singer songwriter gig and we were just we did a set together. And then on the break, we actually had a chance to sit down and chat and meet each other. Yeah. You know, I didn't even know his name,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: And we're just chatting. And, like, unsolicited, he goes, yeah, I, just, uh, I went to Berkeley. And, and then immediately I said, well, you still sound great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just, no, just, that, <laughs> that's exactly how it goes, you know?
0: Well, we, we became good friends. So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's funny. I actually, uh, I actually just finished my bachelor's there, uh, like in December of 21. So I, I left school. I had, I think three classes left, four classes left. And I was like, all right, when I get to Nashville, I'll take them online. I'm going to do this and this and this. Yeah. And then I was like, I don't have time for that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So, well, tell me about the gig with Cole, Cole Swindell. Yeah, How yes. long have you been with him?
1: I've I've been with Cole since day one. So for him, that was 2012. My gosh. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, It's been more than I could have ever hoped for. You know, I mean, really, uh, Cole and I knew each other from down on Broadway. Uh, I toured with Craig Campbell from 2009 to
2: 2012.
1: Mm -hmm. And, you know, Cole was part of that circle of friends. We opened for Luke Bryan quite a bit, which, uh, well, folks on the podcast may not know, um, Cole was Luke's merchandise guy. So oh, I didn't know that, that was kind of the connection there. Yeah. Cole wanted to be a songwriter, I think the whole time, but he was doing merch for Luke and we were opening them for them at clubs. And back in those days, Cole and I were like the young bucks. I think I was like 24, maybe 23. He was like 26. So I'd finish up my gig and go hang out with Cole while we watched Luke. Mm-hmm. So we became buddies, uh, just through that. And then when he came off the road, he got a publishing deal and was writing songs, and uh, he put together a band in 2012. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of history. That was sort of it. So it was it was crazy. We did um, a handful of like club runs down in Georgia. Yeah. And then it it wasn't maybe a year later that he got a record deal, yeah. and it just he uh, he wrote and released "Chilling It." Uh, they sent that out to the the highway on XM Radio. Yeah. They did the highway find, and it was actually supposed to be a different song that went. And he wrote this and he called his manager and he goes, Hey, press hold on another song. Like I've got the one, this is it. I know it. Yeah. And that was it. And, uh, so chilling, it blew up kind of viral and then on the highway, but, um, so highway is a station. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. On uh, yeah. XM radio, uh-huh. the highway. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And they do, they do a thing. I don't know if they still do it, but, um, they do a thing called the highway find where they kind of drop new music from guys that are unsigned or like on the brink and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, the song just took off like totally organic i think it was it spent like eight weeks at number one on that station um it was just yeah it was crazy and that was early april i think of 2013 and six weeks later he had a, a record deal and a couple months later we're on radio tour and it was an absolute blur for like four years just bam bam that's amazing. So, yeah, we're super, super fortunate. How did
0: things change production-wise during that time?
1: Uh, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, you know, that's the short answer, I suppose. Um,
0: and maybe what was the reason for that? Or what what was the game plan in building the production and the choices that were made? Because yeah. the, and the reason I'm asking this is one of the things that you guys do really well seamlessly on stage is like – You, you, there's there's this application of of tracks and different things like that, which for modern country and pop and everything like that, that's part of the game, part of the operation. So managing that as a drummer, as you know, on stage and everything like that. That's I'm really curious about that. Um, For people that want to get into that, want to do that, or or do a gig like that, it's like what do you need to know? But also I'm curious to know how does a new artist you know, put that stuff together. What what is goes into the decision making from a management point of view, from a band point of view?
2: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> well, there's there's a couple different facets to that, and if I'm being honest, I may not be the best guy to ask. <laughs> uh, and well, the, from a drummer standpoint, yeah. <laughs> so from the drummer standpoint, you know, when we first started, it was it was a four piece band and Cole. Yeah. Know, so it was very bare bones. You know, bass drums, two guitars and this is our band. And then, uh, you know, as as Chillin' It Grew, that's a very electronics-heavy kind of song. There's a lot of loops and things like that. So it was it was pretty apparent that we were going to need to have, you know, a tracks rig, and uh, we share management with Luke Bryan, okay. and we're also very tight with, with his band, so. Um,
0: Kent Schluber's uh, a hack.
1: Yeah, right? <laughs> he is, Kent has been... I would call him a mentor, but I almost feel like that's like a disservice to how influential Kent's been to that's me. Awesome. He's, I love he's it. Kent is amazing. Yeah. Um, on on a on a friendship side and as a drummer. You know, yeah. I just I I cannot say enough good things about that's Kent. Awesome. Yeah. So but I guess um we learned a lot from those guys. You know, we kinda got thrown out on that tour very early, you know, and it was like, okay, we don't really have anything and so their track builder came and helped us. Right. And we get set up and now we kind of have a very bare bones rig. I think it might've been eight channels. We probably used four or maybe six of them. You okay. know. Didn't have a ton. I think we used some supplemental background vocals and, and loops yeah. and anything that was like kind of crazy out there, but sort of signature that we just didn't have the manpower on stage to do. So as, as Cole's career has grown, the rig hasn't really changed much. I mean, we use Ableton. I think that's pretty standard for most people running Mm -hmm, playback. mm -hmm. Um, The one thing that we have done is we've expanded like our interfaces. So we have more channels in and out and that's not necessarily to add more tracks. It's to add more space, right? So that gives our front of house and our monitor engineers, the capability to have instead of mono sends, we have stereo now. Yes. So now they can find places in the mix to put this stuff, even though we're not really using anything additional. Gotcha. You know?
0: um, I mean, if anything, just to, just a pause on that for a second. I, I did something last year where it was we basically were able to get it down to four different types of things, mm-hmm. and so we used all eight channels that were available to us to be able to run a couple of things that were really important stereo and yeah. the guy that was helping me build these tracks and is a pro- experienced producer I was like I mean are we making this m- more difficult for the engineer he goes don't worry about it he said trust mm-hmm. me this organ part <coughs> this organ part in stereo is yeah. amazing yeah. you know and having this thing in stereo makes a big difference and if anything it sounds more natural. Yeah. You know, and it blend. I bet it's easier to blend and make tracks sound a part of the show as opposed to, because we've we've all seen shows or heard shows where it's like, uh, okay, the tracks are way too hot. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, this song has this. I don't see that person on stage. Yeah. You don't want
1: that. No, not at all. And there's a delicate balance to that too, right? Because, you know, the audience is expecting a reasonable facsimile of what they hear on the record.
0: Exactly. You know,
1: now we're all very capable players. Yeah. Cole's a very capable singer, you know, so the stuff that's being performed live is very live and it's Mm -hmm. at a very high level, you know, but no, we're not going to bring out a percussion guy (laughs) to play loops. You know, it's just, it's just not economically viable. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, handling the treatment of that stuff and doing it delicately. So that way, the perception out front is like, yes, this sounds like what I'm expecting to hear Mm -hmm. from an audience perspective, right? But also not being the forefront of what's going on. You know, the performance should be the forefront of what's going on, you know? So the tracks are kind of like a bed, you know, they're they're there, you know, some of it's maybe a little more felt than seen. And then some of it's more You know, some of the loop stuff, you know, you, you're going to have to hear those. you know, the top of chilling, it is very loop driven, you know, it's just part of it. So,
0: yeah. What are you hearing in your ears? What's, what's your mix like when, with respects to these loops?
1: Yeah. uh, I don't use a ton of them. Uh, I do have them layered in like a little bit. Uh, But my mix, it's, it's a lot of me. I have a very selfish mix. (laughs) 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 Um, It's, it's. So we're not let me kind of take a step back. Our guys on stage are all running amps. You know, I know there's been a a major movement towards like modelers and everybody running Mm -hmm. direct or ISO cabs and stuff. We're just not doing that. Uh, Joel's got a Marshall cab. Clint's got a Marshall cab. Josh is running a real Leslie. You know, we've got some stage volume. Yeah. Uh, So I can hear most of my guys off their amps. Mm -hmm. So I've got, uh, you know, my guitars are sprinkled in there a little bit, but a lot of what I'm getting is stage volume same with the b3 and then i've got i've got i do have quite a bit of the drums um but in terms of tracks honestly what i use most often is some of the like the background vocal stuff okay and i only use that just as little checks and balances uh for song form yes just to make sure you know if i'm like really in the moment and oh you kind of get outside yourself a little bit right Mm -hmm. like you just kind of off in La La Land, you're still playing and you're paying attention to what you're doing, but you're so into maybe the immediate that you're losing a little bit of focus of the outside. Yeah. So I'll have some of the BGVs in there just to remember that I'm in verse two, not verse one. You know, <laughs> it's something stupid. So Especially if you've been playing the same song yeah. for years and years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't want to blow through the bridge and be like, oh yeah, that was supposed to be, you know, a solo or the chorus or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, I do, I play to the loops a little bit. Um, But something that I've learned on our end is some of the stems that we've gotten from the loops, the loops have been pocketed to the session player on the records, right? Yes. So if I get the album stems, it's very hard to play with those right on the money because they're they're not pocketed to a grid. They're pocketed to somebody else's playing.
0: Yes, okay. Important distinction because – Exactly what you said. I couldn't say it any better, yeah. so. <laughs>
1: no, it's all good. Yeah, so the, the loop in in some ways doesn't act as like a secondary click track anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not it's not a sterile representation of time. Mm-hmm. It's been given – it's been humanized yes. in the studio.
0: Interesting. Right?
1: Now, that's not all the time, but sometimes. So I have to be very careful about which balance of either click track or loop that I use.
0: Wow, yeah. So it's – the it's, click is the grid. Yes. The loop <clears> – <throat> May not be
1: right, right, mm-hmm. and so that's something that when we're looking in our system, we'll kind of we'll visually check it out, and if it is to the grid, I'll typically get a little bit more loop. Mm-hmm. I'll add the human feel, you know. <laughs> but if it is already kind of humanized in the pocketing, then it's like, oof, okay. How do we take care of this where mm. it's not flaming, right? Because right? there's there's just no way to get that perfect you know yeah. as yeah. good as you could possibly try to do it there's always going to be a little bit of wiggle room so sometimes mm-hmm. what we'll do especially in choruses and things like that is we'll we'll edit out the the kick sample sort of thing in the loop and the snare sample okay so we'll let the high you know whether it's a shaker or a tambo kind of thing we'll let that run through and we'll move some of the backbeat, kick drum kind of stuff out of the way, and just let that be performed live.
0: Let, let you do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So it,
1: it, it can be a it can be a difficult balance, you know, to get that dialed in right. And we haven't seen that probably in a couple of years. Um, once we noticed it, we went, "Hey, can you send us a more sterile?" You know, loops.
0: The default isn't to grid everything. They're figuring out a way to mix it so that it's going along with the. He- I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. in all production, that's not all the same, but
1: yeah, everybody's you, got their tricks and whatever, you know.
0: Right, but it's kind of refreshing to, to know that even if they're using that kind of thing, they're still defaulting maybe to a um, Greg Morrow groove.
1: Yeah, well, feeling. that that was exactly our case. So there was uh, there was one in particular I remember. There was a song called Blue Lights. Uh, And it was an EP song of Cole's. It wasn't even on one of his albums, but we would go do these uh, late fall winter tours, two three weeks on this little EP. And Greg Morrow actually was the drummer on it. Yeah, and he's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) But I was going back through and trying to listen through these parts. I'm like, okay. And the hard part about that was is that if you have loop and click in your ears at the same time. And the click is to the grid, but the loop is not.
2: Yeah. Then
1: you start getting like this almost phasing of information, right? Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Sure. You're getting a couple different time references. So that was one uh, an example of where we kind of moved uh, some of the kick and snare loop parts okay. just a little bit out of the way, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then everything seemed fine. Like, you know, the the tambo and the shaker and that um, – you know, even though they were moved to like Greg's thing, they gave me a little bit like what you were saying—that that wherewithal to understand. Okay, here and going into this first, this is kind of kind of just pull a little bit, right, or whatever. You know, so you could kind of follow that a little bit better. It was when you were trying to hammer out the whole groove like that that things got a little bit dicey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and that could be just inefficiency on my part too. But
0: yeah, well, it reminds me of of this concept that the best session players do really well is without straying from the click, mm-hmm. change the energy feel Yeah. from a laid back, say, for example, verse and then pushing it on the course mm-hmm. without changing tempo. But the intentionality, that kind of yep. leaning into it, like you were talking yeah. about with your instructor. Mm-hmm. It also reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've ever done this, where you're playing maybe to a click or you've got some sort of, Tempo reference going, and somebody turns around and said, Hey, man, can you pick it up just a little bit? And you're mm-hmm. like, Okay. And changing tempo mid song can be a challenge, like oh, even yeah. just one or two clicks. Yeah. And so there's been times that I've kind of like, They'll be like, Hey, man, can you pick it up? And I'm like, Okay. So I'll like think that I'm changing the tempo, and I look over at my like live BPM or yeah. whatever, and it's like, I didn't really change the tempo. Right. And the person turns around and gives me the nod, like, Yeah, yeah that's the thumbs it.
1: Thumbs up. Yeah. Perfect, man. Perfect. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't change.
0: Attention. Yeah. But that's probably what happened is like, oh, I'm gonna sit on this a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, you change your attack. Yeah, right. You change the way that yeah. you're approaching the notes. You know, they're they're still happening in the same amount of space. Yeah. But it's the feel of it that changes. Right, yeah.
0: right. So not to divert away from what you know, listening back to Greg and how those guys, you know, push and pull mm-hmm. around a fixed tempo yeah. without it sounding rushed or dragged. Right. But sounds with intention, like the verse and like the chorus.
1: Yeah. And it's, a, it's an important thing dynamically within a song, mm-hmm. you know, is shaping it. It's, you know, you can't just have one dynamic level, one feel, you know, a very, you know, just kind of hammering at it. Mm-hmm. The song won't move. You won't have any motion, you know, which is why. You know, you look at some of the the technology things. Just if you're programming, mm-hmm. you, you have oh, right, to right. you have to almost depocket it to make it feel. Oh, I know, like a person playing. Yeah. Um, and I'll do that a little bit live with Cole. Um, Let me ask you though, when when yeah.
0: when you saw this stuff and you guys were working with with the the, uh, the loops and kind of understanding what Greg did, or was that an epiphany for you? Or like, oh, that's like I didn't know that, or 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 we're like, okay, that makes sense.
1: No, it was an epiphany, a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you're listening back to the record, everything, obviously, it feels great, you know, because Greg's an unbelievable player. Mm-hmm. But everything is so perfectly aligned. I'm like, man, that's incredible, you know. And you, you assume that there's some editing going on. You yeah. know, it's natural, you know. You're making a record, you know. You're putting out a product. Um, but once we got that on the grid with the click, I was like, oh, so that's what's happening. And I asked a couple questions and and it was confirmed. I was like, okay, all right. So that makes sense. Now, how do we work with that?
0: Yeah. You know,
1: because from, again, from an audience perspective, right? If you're sitting in a seat watching this show, you know, this has to feel right. You got, you know, if something's flaming noticeably, anybody's going to be able to hear that. And even if they're a casual listener at best, feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Something feels weird, you know? Right. Um And when you're listening to a record, you know, oftentimes like you listen to a vocal, at least I do anyways, and you notice that the vocal and the snare drum, the backbeat are always pocketed, Mm. right? You have that frame of reference as a singer is going through their phrase. So if I notice things live Mm. where, you know, Cole may be pushing a little bit or pulling a little bit, Mm -hmm. I will sit back to line my syllables up. Or line my snare up with his syllables. Yes. Not a ton. But if you're not aware of that as a drummer, of what the effect is to the audience, okay? So if he's kind of rushing that phrase and it's that may just be an energy thing. Now obviously singers can take liberties and rephrase something or whatever, and if that's the case, I'm gonna leave what I'm doing where it's at. But if I just you know, he's got he's hyped up or whatever and the energy's moving. I'll manipulate just ever so slightly where I place that backbeat mm-hmm. to lie right underneath that syllable. And if you go back and we might listen to a board tape later that week or that night, you never notice it out front. But you notice that that snare is just sitting right with that vocal. Yeah. Which is the purpose of our gig really as a as a sideman is to support – What you know, the artist is doing,
0: I agree 100%. And I mean, when you think of the non musician, the audience member, Mm -hmm. they are hearing the vocals, they're hearing the melody. That's what people hear. Musicians, we kind of go beyond that. You know, we're listening to the layers and we're dissecting the song, you know, through and through. But most people hear that vocal, that melody, and that's the tip of the spear, if you will. Mm -hmm. And nothing. Nothing's better than kind of working with the boss, working with the lead singer and make them feel supported 100% and comfortable. You may be wanting to lock in with the bass player and make this great. I mean, I I always find it fascinating. It's like, oh, just give me a lot of bass and kick drum and I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. And everybody finds their mix that works for them. I would argue, make sure you got vocals in there, Mm -hmm. you know depending on the gig but I think that there's a lot of times when it's apropos to be locked in with the singer yeah. almost more than anything based on what you're saying I love that your snare locking in with the syllables those uh, because that rhythmic phrasing that yeah. you know we've all heard songs that aren't played to a click or a grit or whatever you know we're thinking of, you know 60s 70s all yeah. those things that move you know those great stone songs that just change by 10 clicks or more. Yeah. And yet everything sounds so good together. Yeah. They're moving. They're yeah. making music. Yeah. So how do we continue to make music within the confines of modern technology? Yeah. You know, uh, that, that, that we're presented with. Uh, if you want to be a drummer... Uh, that supports multiple, dif- you know, different kinds of situations in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to play with click, with uh, uh, loops, and other things like that. Yeah. But how do you do it in such a way that still makes you musical?
1: Uh, well, honestly, I think it, it it's it sounds almost counterintuitive, but it it is true. Is being a capable player without all of that. Yes, yes. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah. like, you and I have spent a ton of time on Broadway. Yeah. You know, so we've played plenty of gigs. we played thousands of songs that we do not know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right? true.
1: Yeah. So, that means that we have to have open ears. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I played a gig with Gage Becker. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Unbelievable bass player. I knew zero songs on this gig. And <laughs> yeah. I told the guys that as much. I'm like, you know, they were like, hey, can you play Wednesday night? I was like, yeah, what's your song list? They're like, gauge will take care of you I'm like well can you send me something so I can do some homework and I'm like, gauge will take care of you and sure mm-hmm. enough he did but we got to a point where we played four hours of material where I would just ask him what the tempo was what the count in was and what the feel was yep. and then there it was Yep. so it might be a 2-4 shuffle he said count in's three, four, one, two. there's a two beat pickup and you know we're in at the cross stick cool alright four, one, two, 4 one 2 Mm-hmm. and you listen And the rest of the musicians in the band, whether it's little fills or little passing tones in the bass, but they're, they're going to tell you where you're going. Yeah. There is a language there. So I think, you know, you get in these high production, you know, gigs. Yes. Everything is, is very planned out, very thought out. But if you can take what you've learned playing in clubs and playing with other musicians in a, in a very organic sense
2: mm-hmm.
1: and apply that to what we're doing on the road in these more polished, you know, situations that takes care of itself pretty quickly. So, like I said, I've got quite a bit of myself in my ears. Realistically, that's because we have a lot of those loud amps on stage. Okay. So it's not that I can just hear all the other guys. Yeah. It's that the volume is pretty hot, you know, from those amplifiers. Yeah. So I get quite a bit of kick, quite a bit of snare. I do have a lot of bass, but, the way I, I have my mix set up, it's almost um, – as opposed to like volumes, it's like distances. Mm, okay. So I, I try to set myself up with um, like a spatial recognition of where everybody's at on stage. Okay. And that gives me that feel of like being on a club stage a little bit where, yes, I hear Clint off to my left. And if I look to my left, there he is. Yeah. You know, and I do have them, you know, sprinkled in the ears, but a lot of it's coming from the stage volume. That air helps to give that breath to things where you can really pay attention to all of it at once. Gotcha, you know, so. gotcha.
0: I, it, the times that I've had an opportunity to run stereo ears and like say, "Do you want this panned here or mm-hmm. there?" I never do it. Yeah, because it's 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 less common for me. Okay. So I try and like I'm going to kind of just stick mm-hmm. with a consistent type of mix or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I've never played around with that.
1: Uh, You know, everybody has their own comforts, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you you know what you like, so I can't say, oh man, you should do that because that may just not jive with what you feel on stage, right?
0: But I think it might be worth experimenting with in a, in a practice situation, you know, kind of see, you know, pan. See what you
1: think. I, I pan my toms. Yeah. You know, I, my rack Tom is just a little bit left to center because I don't want it to sit with the snare. Yeah. You know, so my, yeah. my rack would be at like 1130, right? Okay. Uh-huh. But I've got my Toms panned, you know, um, my hi-hat. I'll have him just kind of sweep the panning on the hi-hat until like I can hear it where I see it, <laughs> you know, where. Yeah. And so it becomes like a visual thing for me too. Right, right. Now – what you may not know, and probably most, I would say almost everybody does not know, I'm legally blind in my left eye. So uh, for me, that's a big part of my gig is being yeah. able to hear guys so at least I have, like, that awareness of, like, that left side. You know, I, I can see a little bit. I've got some peripheral. There's – it's like a nerve thing or whatever. But, um, yeah, that becomes a thing for me where it helps me spatially yeah. to feel balanced, I guess.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Interesting.
1: Yeah. Fun fact. There you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: You kind of talked some about this, but I'm wondering if there were or there have been experiences or things that you've done that have helped create a skill set that has allowed you to handle Cole's gig. And you're like, well, I'm glad I had this experience because now I'm on stage mm-hmm. with Cole. I'm doing this festival. I'm doing this gig. And, uh, if it wasn't for this that has happened to me or that yeah. I've experienced or that I've learned or that someone told me, I don't know if I'd be able to do this to, at this professional level right now. Mm-hmm. And you talked a little bit about the Broadway thing, and I've yeah. argued that before. I won't go into it anymore, but I've argued that that the, some of those experiences of playing songs you've never heard before, mm-hmm. be able to listen, being able to like listen to a song for two seconds on Spotify and then go and play it. Yeah. You know, those things help you in all different scenarios. So we, yeah. we've talked a little bit about that. But I mean, is there something else that has led to this moment, whether it was with Craig, whether it was with, at Berkeley, Broadway, advice, anything? Yeah.
1: I think uh, I'll go in, in in two places. Yeah, I think a big thing for most drummers, especially as they're just getting started, is not being overwhelmed by the moment. Right. Mm. So I think when you get onto big stages for the first time, mm-hmm. this that's the dream mm-hmm. I, I think every one of us at one point or another, especially when we were younger, I mean, like kids, we saw a group, a band, a TV performance, something that absolutely spoke to us. And we went, oh, my God, I have to do that someday. Yeah. I have to. There's that's that's that spark. Right. So when you finally start to get close to achieving that, you can't let the nerves get in the way. You've got to be so prepared and ready to go, you know, that this is happening and and I've worked to this point to like, like, I can't make the mistake. Not that I won't, but I've like, I am ready to go, you know, so, uh, yeah, just, I guess, doing your homework on things. You know? I was
0: going to say, what do you do to mitigate
2: that? Yeah, I think idea. just
1: doing your homework, knowing the parts. Um, and I'll say that to say this. I took a gig when I was much younger that I should have never taken. <laughs> I didn't have the time. Uh, I was working a full-time job. I was playing every night of the week. I didn't have the time to do the homework the way that the, the gig deserved. And at that point, I kind of had this mantra that, like, you know, Yes, I'm going to go play. I'll figure it out. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. And this stuff was not easy.
2: Mm.
1: And I didn't play the gig well. And they never called me back and they never should have. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know? And that's OK. And I learned a really hard lesson there, you know, okay. a really hard lesson in, in the preparation. Mm. You know. So now to take that to the other side of the spectrum here, um, one of the things that I have found that serves me best in Nashville to take gigs now that I know better and, and do them well is transcribing
0: yeah um, i was gonna ask you about that
1: yeah so when i was at berkeley you know we had to take um, notation and um written notation classes where they you know really went through how mm. to notate music um i've since taken that and kind of adjusted it to myself but when i learn cole's record music i transcribe it first yeah okay uh, yeah. as close to as detailed as note for note as possible i would say at any given point i'm or better, you know? Um, And that note for note. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, I'll, I'll go through with a pretty fine tooth comb. I mean, hi-hat splashes, grace notes,
2: Mm.
1: you know, and, and then I'll go to um, a practice space that I share with our bass player and a couple of our buddies and, and go hash them out.
2: Mm.
1: Now there was a long time. I didn't have a practice space. So transcription was really my only Mm. way to go through this stuff. And I did okay with it for a while, uh, where I was able to transcribe it. I could take it into a rehearsal, read and be good to go two times through, got it memorized. Okay. We're all set. But as parts got more complicated or as things got more detailed, uh, that wasn't good enough, you know, and it may have probably been a little ego driven. Like, yeah, I got this. I can write this out. I'm fine. You know, and I, I learned hard lessons there too. So I think being aware of, um, Where your blind spots are, you know, and not being so stubborn that you can't hear literally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've (laughs) got a big one on my left. Yes. (laughs) I've
0: only found out that you're legally blind and I'm already making jokes. I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm not the guy that you can defend. It's all good. Um, No, but yeah. So I think um, those would be two things. I think being aware of the moment, right. And not letting it get to be such a big monster for you that you get tunnel vision and can't do the gig right. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of emotions associated with approaching that point of attaining a goal. Right, Mm -hmm. You know, when when you're that drummer, you know, if that is the goal, you know, if you want to be on the big stages, you want to do this, you know, you have to be able to play within yourself as you're approaching those moments. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they come faster than you realize. You know, we went from zero to playing amphitheaters with Cole in a very short amount of time, you know, Um, and that was it was kind of an accident. But Kiefer Thompson with Thompson Square had um, a vocal issue and they had to back out of like two weeks, two or three weeks of shows, you know, so he could heal. So Cole's manager calls and says, hey, you're going to be on the Luke Bryan tour. Oh, my gosh. You leave tonight. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I don't even know if my laundry's done, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, being – taking that step back, taking a deep breath and being you know just present within yourself so that you don't let that overwhelm you. And then I think, you know, being able to read and write, you know, are huge, 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 huge helps in this business. Yes, yes. Um,
0: especially for having to know – Thousands of
1: songs. Yeah, the drop of a hat,
0: you know. Or, or to, when you sit down to transcribe something that Greg Morrow played on, by the time you're done writing it out, you know something a little bit more about Greg's approach yes. than you did before. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've been uh, super fortunate. Um, when I was with Craig Campbell, Eddie Bayers played on his records. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of Cole's career, um, it was Greg Morrow. And I think uh, most recently has been Near Z yep. and I think a couple McHugh tracks too. Okay. So being able to go into those and transcribing those um, has been incredible just for my own um, kind of light bulb moments. You know, there yes. were a couple of things that I'm like, wow, okay, how is he doing this? You know, Greg to me is notorious for playing things that feel left footed. Like and, like, and I don't mean that literally, but just they feel a little bit back ass words, you know, yeah, like, okay, yeah. what is that? You know, at least on Cole's recordings anyways, you no, know, I and, get I'm, you. and I'm diving into him going, what, what is
0: that? And some of that Montgomery gentry stuff was like that. Yeah. Really groovy. And it's like, I don't know anybody that would play like this Yeah, in that way. A little Ringo, a little Lonnie Wilson, a little,
1: yeah, And know, it worked. Yeah. so well. Yeah. But there was a thing that I found in his playing. Uh, it might've been on that blue light song again. Cause I was trying to dive in and figure out what I was hearing. And I had a stem that I ran through amazing slow downer, you know? Okay. <laughs> and it was just a simple, it was just a simple fill. It was just, you know, snare rack floor kick, you know, you know, and I started, I'm like, that does not sound like snare one, two kick and in. And I start running this thing slower and slower and slower until I finally hear the separation. And I realize that he played a flam tap in that fill. Mm. So he was playing snare on the right hand. Yeah. Rack one on the left. Yeah. Rack one and two as a flam. Yeah. Two. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, the whole world came alive. And I went, Uh, there it is. Yes. Wow. And it's the same figure you've heard a million times Every other drummer plays it, just linear. Mm-hmm. He got a fatter tom sound by playing a flam. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Probably on those, that Seafoam uh, Blue that slingerland, slingerland kit. yeah. Oh, yep.
1: And it was incredible. And you still had the melodic shape of the phrase, mm-hmm. but it just fattened up the tom sound a little bit. And then I started finding it in all these songs. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, there it is. Just the little thing.
0: Flam, flam. Single.
1: Yeah, yeah it was just, it was a no, uh, single Single, single, flam, single.
0: I gotcha. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So snare, rack, one, two, two.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So there's a there's Crazy. an app, uh, if anybody wants to check it out, called Moises. Okay. M-O-I-S-E-S. Kind of like noises, but yeah. with an M. And you can download a song from iTunes. I put it in Logic and render an MP3 and then drag it in there it will analyze any song separate the parts bass guitar keyboards vocals drums oh, wow. and then you can adjust tempo you can adjust key uh okay. and i've taken a handful of t- songs that i've been working on for years or whatever just want to mess with and it will add the tempo add a click if you want it so it's mm-hmm. almost like you're creating your own backing tracks yeah and if you, with with any any song but it's almost like the amazing slow downer there's a I think there was a there was an old Green Day song. It's like I, I wanted to to figure out exactly what what, what Trey was playing, and yeah. and uh, I could slow it down. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. Yeah. And you find out that it's like it's not as complicated as I'm making it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Moises, check that out. Okay. As you mentioned the amazing slow downer. Yeah. Um, That just these tools now that are made available to us, I I say jump on that shit, man.
1: Yeah, because you can really dive into somebody's playing, you know, and and things that they would never, you know, he probably doesn't even realize he's doing it. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just, it (laughs) falls out of him because that's how he's feeling while he's tracking that song, you know? (laughs) And there's so many cool little like phrases and figures and stuff that you just take a step back, slow it down a little bit and go, oh, wow, that's it. And then yeah. you can shed it on your own and add that to your vocabulary. Hey, it's amazing, Greg. Thank you for letting me rip that. <laughs> you know, so
0: um, Tim Galloway, yes, had a session, and uh, we've I've been bugging him for for a little while. And I and and at one point I said he he said I've got a session if you want to and bring your son to this because I wanted to expose him to yeah. the Nashville players and yeah. what they're doing. Greg was on the session, okay, and they did like six songs with like three or four different songwriters, a couple of them on Zoom mm-hmm. in like two and a half hours.
1: Yeah.
0: And so my son has his Working Drummer podcast shirt on. He's a guitar player. Yeah. Greg immediately was like, Does your old man make you wear that shirt? <laughs> <laughs> and um so they do their pass. Greg would nail it the first time through. Yeah. Come in the control room. They had a setup with headphones. They were very sweet, very nice, very welcoming. Yeah. So during a little bit of just a slow time, I, I said, Greg, do you do you warm up? And I'm like, what do you do before he goes? No, man, I'll just have a cup of coffee before I come in here. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's amazing. That's yeah. Wonderful. And there were two situations where he had to punch. Well, one situation where he had to retract the song because they changed the tempo. Mm-hmm. They decided. Otherwise, it was fine what he did. Yeah. He had one punch where he goes... He goes, man. I want to. I want to redo this, Phil. I just kind of. I think I just kind of flubbed it. I didn't warm up before I came in here, <laughs>
1: so he kind of like zinged me. <laughs>
0: I'm like, dude.
1: <clears throat> if I can interject, I have a great one of him too. Yeah, we were. Uh, so Cole's producer and Cole have always been extremely welcoming to me. And when they cut these projects, yeah. they would let me come into the studio awesome. and come hang. So I've gotten to meet Greg on a handful of occasions and they went to go track a song and he asked if I wanted to come sit in the booth with them. Yeah. And I said, hell yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, You mean I get to sit three feet away and watch you cut you know, hits? I'm like, yep, I'm in. And uh, so he was extremely gracious. And this was such a funny little story, but – I'm sitting on the stool off to his left. I'm about three feet away, and he's getting his little monitor deck kind of ready for me, and he hands me a pair of headphones and hands me the plug, and he goes, yeah, hey, he goes, um, man, I'm sorry if these are a little bit you know, loud, but... Yeah, well, sorry, <laughs> you know, and it was like, he was being again, so gracious in the moment, you know, let yeah. me sit in and I had a you know set of cans and, but he still had to do his job. You know, he was still going to work. So it's like, yeah, you're just going to have to deal with the dude. And, yeah, right. and they were, they were screaming, you know, but, uh, it was anything telling about his mix? Uh, it was predominantly bass and drums. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then he had a click, he had a, a little NPC that he was, you know, he was sending click out. Okay. Uh, so he would build his own clicks. Um, but yeah, it was funny. He had this huge snare, you know, rack behind him with probably eight to 10 different snare drums. And he goes, yeah, I pretty much just use this one. <laughs> you know? Which one was that? Uh, I, I think it was an old Superphonic, uh, a six and a half by 14. Yeah. 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 But, uh. Yeah, he he said he's got all these other ones. He goes, Yeah, I have them if, you know, somebody says they need this kind of color or whatever, you know. And and he goes, But pretty much I use this one, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, he was, he was very, very gracious and and generous with his time and uh, just another sweet human, you know. I think we have, we've got a lot of those in our community. Yes. You know, just very, very nice people. Um, You know, it is, it is fun to catch up with other drummers, you know. uh, and a lot of us have had very similar experiences, but I tend to find that a lot of the drummers in Nashville are just, you know, very gracious, very kind. Yeah, you know? yeah, a lot of a lot of good folks out
0: there. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's been the situation for me since day one. And when I thought about doing this podcast, I thought this is going to be easy mm. because I I, f- I feel like people are going to. Just be very receptive. Just just hanging and 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 chatting and and doing all the things that they were doing one on one before, anyways. Yeah. And uh, they've all been been super great. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's amazing. And 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 discovering that that is uh, uh, mostly across the board with drummers around the country and around the world mm. have been really great. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is really cool. Let me ask you about um, just. Being on the road, mm-hmm. and it's been a little over ten years now that you've yeah. been working with Paul. <clears throat> yep, has it been mainly the same band, the same core of yep. guys?
1: Yeah, we've. Um...
0: And I don't know the other guys too well. I know Josh a little bit.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and it's just what a sweetheart of a mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, which kind of was the inspiration to kind of inquire about this. Mm-hmm. Is yeah how that dynamic works because you have to spend a lot of time together.
1: We do. We do. We have had pretty much the same band, uh, since 2016. Um, we've, we've only made one change and then we, we hired Josh on keys, uh, because you should be here was a single for us. That's a very piano driven song. Mm -hmm. We're going to need a piano player, you know? And, uh, so no, we've, we've had the same group for a long time. Um, Uh, And I'm I'm our band leader, which I I don't like that term either because I (laughs) I like to make things very democratic. Yeah. Um, but uh, as such, uh, you know, I think what we've done really well is everybody has a little bit different of a personality, so there's there's puzzle pieces there that all fit really cohesive as a group. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not. I wouldn't say there's competing personalities. There might be a handful of like competing traits here and there, but everybody has kind of their unique space in what makes us click. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm extremely analytical. That's just sort of my deal. Um, I'm very business oriented on that side of things, you know, whereas, you know, Josh on what I would consider to be like the complete opposite side of the spectrum (laughs) is, um, very, very deep thinking, but in a different fashion, uh, But Josh has such a great value to everything that he, like, thinks, says, and does, Mm. you know? And so he's one of those guys that he can can kind of get lost in his own thoughts. But then when he comes back to you, he's usually got something really pretty, you know, deep to share or just a a great thought here and there, you know? So we we really do have – a a sincerely great group of guys. That's great. You know, I consider them to be all very dear friends. Um, You know, we've been, uh, you know, to 49 of the 50 states together. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had good travel days. We've had bad travel days. We've had good food, bad food, good sleep, bad sleep, you know, Um, you know, and in a lot of ways, I mean, we spend, you know, as much time with them oftentimes as we do at home. You know, so oh, yeah. So if you don't have the right fits, you know, a lot yeah. of guys, a lot of guys can play, but it's very difficult to put a group of guys together that can just get along. And then there's this synergy when we're on stage, where I think the sum of the parts is greater than the you know, sure the parts individually. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm extremely grateful for. That's I really, awesome. really am. I mean, you know, we've uh, same group through COVID. You know, everybody. Navigated that as challenging as that was, um, you know, and came back. And so, mm-hmm. I'm glad we didn't have any, you know, fall off there either. But,
0: right, right, so, right. So, yeah, well, I mean, during the bad days, that's when it's really telling mm-hmm. the bad mm-hmm. travel days, the whatever the events, the weird sound checks. That's when personalities, yeah. you know, that's when they either shine or,
1: yeah, or not. Yep, yeah. yeah. How, how are you handled, uh, handling? yourself under stress or duress, exactly. right? You know? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, we, we really do have a great, great group of guys. Uh, and you guys, like, and, and part of this is like
0: kind of staying mentally aware, mentally stable while you're away from loved ones and mm-hmm. how you stay physically fit. Because one of the things that was really great Uh, When I saw you uh, out on the road, backstage, you guys had, you brought out the weights, the weight bench, and there was this whiteboard with the whole workout (laughs) regimen laid out there, and I was like, that's
2: badass. Yeah,
0: I think we had, because I was always looking for the hotel gym or local gym or something, Mm -hmm. and we had time to do that before, but I was like, God, if I would have known this would have been here, and I, I don't remember what happened that day, but... Oh, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, man, I could have jumped in with these guys. Yeah, like, yeah. absolutely. And you'd be
1: welcome. <laughs> yeah. we. Um, so Joel, our lead guitar player, um, he was actually a division two football player. He won a national okay. championship at Valdosta State while he was there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which is super cool. I mean, yeah. a lot of people could say that. Right. And then now he's, you know, Cole Mandel's lead guitar player. So <laughs> he sucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but Joel is, he's extremely disciplined in his routine and so he's the one who kind of led that charge for us, you know, getting some of that stuff out on the road. Um, so that way on days where we didn't have easy access to a gym, we could still do something. So, and he really, he leads that whole, um, ship, we call it planet Hutzel, you know, that's, his name is Joel Hutzel. And, uh, but he'll, he'll develop or find, I'm not sure. He may talk to somebody, but he gets those circuits Yeah. and he'll, he'll write those all out and go, here's what we're doing today. And, we're off and, and running, it. so yeah, that's that's been great. I have been, uh, if I'm telling the truth, I have been slacking on my <laughs> fitness, but I've also been slacking on sleep too. So uh, it's time for me to get back to it. Pretty you hard have this a newborn, year, but now. I do. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little <laughs>
0: little excuse there, wiggle room. Yeah. No, I th- I feel like just for my mental state of being. Um, there's times that finding a place to work out or finding a place to just be physical in that way uh, sometimes trumps the show. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm like looking for, yeah. Um, you know, because there's just so much. I think that's that's what was just saying. I, th- I think you might be over the road right now, you know, uh, uh, because this is a bigger priority than the show. Yeah. But it just kind of helped just make me feel like I'm being, pro- uh, pro- being productive because – show days or being on the road can be spaced out in such a way where yeah. you're like I'm just sitting around all day and then yeah. you've got maybe a sound check maybe not and then an hour and a half show or yeah. it's just a lot of downtime it can get yeah. very it gets sort of crazy easy
1: yeah I think a lot of people don't realize that too you know um, there's this you know kind of veil over like what road life is really like mm-hmm. you know Oh man, you're riding on a bus and you're doing this and you are doing this. And like, and I'm not, you know, I am not for a second saying that that's not, you know, wonderful. And we've been very fortunate to have those opportunities afforded, you yes, know, with yes, this yes. career growth. Um, but we got 22 and a half hours out of the day that we're not on stage, Yes, you know, and a lot of that's traveling, but a lot of that really is. There's a lot of downtime. So making productive use of that time. For me, anyways, you know, individually, it helps um, almost justify my time away from home, if that makes sense. Like if I'm going to be away from my family, like I can't justify being away from them for four or five days for a combined total of four and a half hours of work. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? But if I'm away and I'm working towards another goal, whether it's a fitness thing or learning something or – you know, working on my craft, but doing something that I think, you know, will benefit not only myself, but my family in the long run. Yes. Then that makes it a lot easier to palate. You know, it, mm-hmm. it makes it more palatable that you can say, yes, I was gone for three and a half days. But in that time where I had a little extra time afforded during the day, I did bam, 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 bam. You know? Yes. Yes. So that way, when I come home, I could be full-time dad and I could be full-time husband, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, that's something that in the last two years, since we've come back from COVID has been an extreme high priority for me, you know, just, I want to make sure that when I'm home, I'm present, you know, and that I'm, you know, active in, in raising our kids and, and being a good husband and doing date nights and, and helping around the house, you know, cause you know, my wife is a total rock star, and when I'm gone, you know, she's. She takes all of that on herself, you right know? right so uh, that that's something that uh, is not lost on me either. You know, you have to be aware of where you're at. like, yes, most of what we do is very fun, you know, mm-hmm. but you need to be forward thinking too, you know, yes, gigs don't last forever.
0: Exactly. But your family will,
1: <laughs> you know? Right. But if, so, it, unless you well, squander that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because if you're not if you're not actively maintaining those relationships, you know, then they just fizzle. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that can be with your kids. That can be with your spouse. That can, you know. Um, I mean, that could be with your friends. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, there's there's a sure. lot of things that you have to you still have to cultivate. You know. Yeah. You can't stand over one flower and drown it with water, while the rest of the garden is dying. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that you're, you know, obviously you have your priorities and there's some that are going to get more attention than others, but Mm -hmm. to be successful in this business, you have to have a successful home life, you know, Mm -hmm. because that'll leak into the road. It really will. You know, I mean, that kind of stuff, if you're having, you know, troubles at home, you know, you start to lose focus or maybe you're, you're, you know, partaking in the libations a little more liberally than you might otherwise, you know, I mean, it, it can affect stuff. So. Maintaining your health, right in your relationships, in your in your physical health, and I think your mental health are are huge, huge deals in this day and age.
0: It's all encompassing. It it all affects one positive thing affects another part of your of your life.
2: Yeah,
0: all aspects. I love that. It's great, really great, man. Mm -hmm. It, It it I'll say something that when I left the road in 2017, I came home, and within that year of being home, my wife said to me, you're off the road, but you're, brain- you're still out on the road. Mentally, okay. I need you here. Yeah. I know you're physically here, but you're not here. You're not all here. She was like, I need to say I need I need to tell you this,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, as opposed to just kind of let it <clears throat> fall apart. Yeah, you're not here. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you came off the road. But you're not. And so like, we worked really hard to try and turn that around. But I just I was not self aware. Mm-hmm. Of that, because when you're traveling in your home, you're trying to cram so much into the three days that you're home or the five oh, days yeah. that you're home uh, that um, it's it's all it it there's a kind of a pressure cooker that can happen if you're not aware of. I need to take care of things. I need to hit the hard reset. Be here. Be present. Yeah. Be the spouse. Be the parent. Be the whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: While I'm here, 100. percent Because this is this is my gig while I'm home.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, that that is a tough thing, you know, because when you get those limited days home, right, it's very easy to go, okay, well, I got to go to the bank. I got to hit the grocery store. I need to do this, this, and this. And then all of a sudden, it's five, six o'clock. You know, it's dinner time and you've hardly, you know, said word one, like to your family because you've just been go, 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 you know, and that's hard when you're home, you know, and then when you're on the road, like you're missing them. So you don't get the time face-to-face right yeah you know our, our guitar player and i have talked about um being where your feet are mm. you know mm-hmm. and just kind of you know being present in that I, I learned that from him and i said you know that's a really great you know thought to be aware of mm-hmm. you know just being present in those moments you know yeah so i think that's great i also commend your wife for <laughs> Well, for the feedback, though, right? Yeah. I mean, feedback is not always easy, you know, but... No, because confrontation
0: <clears throat> is a part of my personality and her personality that we do, we like to avoid. Okay. And we're very similar in that way. Yeah. And so to confront your spouse and say, you need to change some shit. Mm-hmm. is It's not easy. Yeah. But also when you put a lot of trust in someone and you've been with them for a long time and they yeah. know so much about you, nobody knows me better than she does. Right. So when she yeah. has something to say to me, I'm like, I'm listening.
1: hmm <laughs> yeah, but that's important too. Okay, so now, now you have what you would consider to be constructive feedback, right? Yeah. From somebody that you trust. Yes. And somebody that you know knows you better than anybody else. Right. So then you're open and available to receiving that. Yes. That's a hard thing. Right? You know, and I would agree. I would agree. Like, my wife knows me better than I you know, you think you know yourself pretty well. I'm like, no, you really want to know me, go ask her. You know, she knows, you know. Yeah, yes. and, uh but I think having those moments where you can have those honest conversations is huge too, because you know, we talked about blind spots earlier, you know, from the left and otherwise. <laughs> you know, I just can't see over there. But um but I think having somebody who loves you enough to say hey listen i don't think you're seeing this. Yeah. That's a huge thing. You know, and to take that a step further and kind of bring it back to road life, you know, we do that with ourselves in the band. Okay. You know, um we have a great relationship, you know, with each other the five of us in the band and then, you know, we have a great relationship with Cole too, but it's not the same, right? For sure. But the five of us can say, hey, you know what? Like I'll give you a perfect example. When I was talking earlier about how I got away with transcribing stuff for a long time, you know, um, that wasn't good enough, right? Like I could transcribe it, get into rehearsal, be close and go. But there was a rehearsal that we had that we needed to be like really ready to go. And I had done what I thought was my homework and I wasn't there, right? And our guitar player, who's a very close friend of mine, you know, said, hey, can we talk? And this was maybe two, three weeks later. And I said, yeah, what's up? And he goes, I'd really appreciate it if you put a little bit more time into what we're doing, you know? And I said, okay. And he kind of laid it out. He said, you know what, man? Like, just, you know, in rehearsal, like, I know that you you know the stuff, but, like, we could have been further along had we not been hashing out a couple fills just to make sure they were right kind of thing, you know? I said, yeah, okay. And I, I took a day to think about it. And I actually um, asked all the bad guys to meet us on the bus about a day or maybe two days later. And I said, hey, listen, this this was brought to my attention and rightfully so. And I said, so first off, I owe each of you an apology.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. I take this very serious. I love what we do out here. But I disrespected the efforts that you all put in Mm -hmm. by not matching. I said, now, at the point, you know, I had a lot going on. And I said – but I can still figure that out, you know, I, and and they, they, they were aware of some of the stuff that was happening. I said, but, you know, that will never happen again. And here's the steps that I'm laying out to ensure that never happens again, you yeah, know, and yeah. X, Y and Z. And I follow through with each of them, you know, yeah. but the accountability to either your bandmates or your spouse, you know, but they're interrelated in some ways. You know, there's there's a lot going on there. And and I'm grateful that he took the time and had the guts to say, hey, listen, buddy,
0: tell like, me about it.
1: You're better than this.
0: Yeah because you know, he loves you, man.
1: Yes, and likewise, and I love him back for that mm-hmm, feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a gift. He didn't mm-hmm. have to give me that, right? Yeah. So, um, and I'm thankful for it because it's made me better. It's made all of us better. But yeah. you, you learn lessons, and we're not perfect. You know, there's moments where you're tired and run down. You just kind of slack. You, you, okay. I can do this. It's enough to get by, right? Right. And man, when you start having those little thoughts, that needs to be your own little check engine light, and go, okay. I need to figure something else out because I don't want to do just enough. You know, I don't want to just get by. You know, I want to make
0: right, sure. Right then, I'm what doing. are you really doing? You right. know, is this the right? Is this the right path for you? Is this the mm-hmm. right journey? Is this the right band?
1: Yeah, and sometimes I think it's just there's there's a whole life outside of the the music business, right? So, you know, if you're in a season of struggle or whatever it may be in your personal life, like I said, it can. Oh, my God. Yes. Creep into work. Right. So those are the moments where I go, Okay, I needed to take stock in what was happening, how I was navigating that. And then how am I going to improve X, Y and Z? Maybe it's just a little extra energy here or, you know, whatever it's going to be. But those were um, those were great moments where I go, man, I wish I didn't have to learn, you know, learn that the hard way,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but I'm okay with it if I've learned Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can't keep making the same mistakes, but that's okay. I love that, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That that's about as real as it gets for a working draw. I mean, that's. It does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, For sure. I want to ask you about recording with Cole. Yeah. Did you do? You did some recording with him.
1: I've done one EP with him. Okay. It was kind of a different format. Um. You know, Greg Morrow, Near Z, and I think Chris McHugh played on his records. Uh, I hacks. did a. All hacks. Right? Yeah, just terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish I could get upset with them for being awful, but they're just amazing. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I played on one EP of his um, that we did, like, kind of a, a more fully produced ac- acoustic version of a couple songs that um, he had written but yeah. were recorded by other artists. So we kind of did, like, a covers yeah. EP sort of thing. Okay. Yeah.
0: What was that process like? And the reason Mm -hmm. I bring this up uh, is, well, one of the reasons I bring this up is I I work with a singer who put out a record, uh, Holland Marie. Yes. um, And... I was learning songs off the record, because she's like, well, we're going to do a couple originals as a full band, but this is my solo record that I mm-hmm. did, and so we're going to learn it. I'm like, man, this is great. Who did she have on this? Because this is really killer. And she gave me a, a hard copy of the CD one one night, and she's like, here, you can throw this away if you want, because it's a CD. <laughs> Who has CDs anymore? And I, I look in the credits.
2: That's Chris.
0: Yeah? I was like, man. You sound great, dude. Oh, thank you very much. And I have transcriptions you. of your Yay. parts.
1: <laughs> awesome.
0: So when awesome. I saw that you had recorded with Cole, I was like, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, just kind of your experience with that, uh, maybe with, with with other things or just working in that situation. Was there a producer involved? Was it a collective thing?
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it was both. There was a producer involved on, on the EP I did with Cole. Um, so – we did that all, like, live in one room. Okay. So we didn't do ISO booths or anything like that. Uh, so we had to get, you know, good clean takes from everybody, which took a little extra time, but we were able to knock the thing out in a day. Yeah. Um, but it was it was really cool. It was a little bit of a challenge for me because, like, we were doing kind of acoustic, but I don't, we didn't really have, in my mind, like, a super clear direction of how these things were what the end goal was, you know, how how varied from the record or the demo that they want them, mm-hmm. you know. So I just end up playing um, a lot of brushes on the snare, yeah, you know, kind of thing, you know. Still similar kick patterns. I, I took a couple liberties on on bridges and things like that, just to give a little different feel. Um, but that was it was pretty pretty simple. I mean, kind of laid back, just yeah. Uh, yeah it was sort of, okay, this is what we're doing. Here's a song. You guys have played the song a hundred times. Cause you've been doing the covers of it anyways. You know, now we're going to change it up a little bit, come up with a couple band licks or punches and right on to the next one. So that was pretty, it was a pretty low key day. Gotcha. You know, I, I don't know if I could offer a ton on that one. Cause I don't really remember a whole bunch about how that. Went down. <laughs>
0: Are you recording at all? Do you have anything at home that you're doing? And th- I,
1: I don't, I would love to, um, I just you know I've got a uh, I've got like a rehearsal space that I share with our bass player. We've got like a group of like ten guys um, that has a space uh, down in Nashville. So I'll go down there to like practice and stuff. And um, they do have a recording set up, but honestly, like I don't do a whole lot of tracking. Yeah. And I think honestly, I think a lot of it has to do because the sessions that I do get called for, I'm like, when is it? And they're like Thursday morning. I'm like. Ugh. I'm going to be in Fort Lauderdale. Sorry. You know, like I just, I have a lot of that where I've turned down quite a few things because I'm just not home. Right. right. You know, so I would love to do more. Um, You know, I did, I did Holland's thing, you know, quite a few years back and that was, uh, that was a blast. Matt Anderson played bass on that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Matt and I actually went to Berkeley at the same time. Okay. Yeah. So I've known him for a long, long time. Um, But yeah, you know, I I did a lot of recording with Martin McDaniel um, when, gosh, Up until probably 2013, 2014, somewhere -hmm. along those lines. But, uh, yeah, that's a world that I would love to be more involved in. I just, at this point, touring as much as we had. You know, I didn't have a lot of opportunity.
0: Do you you see things changing over time? Like, maybe, will the touring slow down? Do you think that might be something? Or what does the future look like? What do you see yourself, or what do you see yourself doing, maybe over the next 10, 15 years?
1: Um. Well, that's something that I've honestly been considering since I was probably 25 or 26. You know, I'm 37 now, and I've always sort of had 40 in my mind as kind of the, not the finish line, Mm -hmm. but the, okay, you need to have next steps prepared. You know, Um, I had a a bunch of friends that uh, I had seen have gigs and lose gigs and get new gigs and move on to different things or whatever. And, you know, I, I I had a friend of mine who was in his early 40s, had a great gig that kind of just fizzled out and got started up with another act. And he was doing like 220-something shows that year. Yeah. And I thought – and I'm probably about 26 at the time, maybe 25. I thought, man – by the time I'm 40, I would hope to have a wife and kids at this point, and I just I do not want to do 225 shows at that point in my life. Yeah. So I always kind of had 40 as like the at least have my next steps prepared. So I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh Cole's gig for me is home. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't want to leave that. Uh I think the only time I would ever leave it was if I'd be asked to leave (laughs) you know um so this has been something to me that's i'm I'm extremely passionate about his music fits my like my personality my style of playing to a t i'm just kind of a rock and roll drummer that's what i do um so my next steps would be to do something concurrent with what we're doing with cole so i'm actually back in school i'm going to get uh my master's in accounting
0: yeah, you mentioned yeah. that. So I'm like, I want to ask you about
1: Yeah, this. so I've always been business-minded. My, my degree from Berkeley was in business and management. Uh, I worked for AEG, the Messina Group, when I first moved to town.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I'm going to go back and get my CPA. And, and really, the, the thought process behind all that was uh, COVID-based, right? When the world shut down, there was no more touring. Yeah. You know, I didn't have my foot in the session world enough to really make any real kind of living doing that. Mm-hmm. So I started kind of brainstorming. What could I do that's transferable to every industry?
0: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> accounting,
1: right? Yeah, you, every bi- every business, every industry, they all need it. Um, so I think that that's basically my preparation for next steps. Yeah. But I don't think that's anything that. Um, I don't know. I I still really dig what we're doing. You know, we're not doing a ton of dates on the road right now. We do about 80 a year, which is extremely manageable, especially with my family. You know, uh, you know, they're all, you know, super supportive and great with it. So, um, you know, I've, I've kind of, I've, I feel like I've always said that Cole's gig is going to be my last gig. If that lasts 20 years or 20 more minutes, Mm -hmm. but this is where I want to be, you know? And, uh, so, um, Would I like to do more session stuff? Yeah, I would love to, you know, but there's a lot of other factors that go into some of that, you know, somebody needs to call you, somebody needs to hire you. You know, there's a lot of yeses that need to happen before a product goes to market basically, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that would be, that would be a a goal, um, but also understanding just realistically that at this point in the game, you know, I've got two kids and a wife and a house to take care of. So, you know, I want to be prepared for whatever life has to offer post-touring. right. But I'm not in a rush to find that out either. <laughs> I guess I get it. Enjoy yeah. the, where your feet are. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Be present. And you've you've brought up a couple really important things as far as just understanding the dynamics of being on the road and um, knowing that that can go away at any moment. Mm-hmm. Music, gigs. These things change. Yeah. And a lot of it is out of our control. Yes. And what we have control of or what we try and put our efforts and energy into is those direct connections with loved ones and family and other things like that, because that, if taken care of, will last forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if you take the, the utmost care and love and everything to the gig, it still may go away.
1: Yeah, public opinion is tough. You know? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, exactly. taste or, change. And,
0: taste change, or maybe the the singer's like, I'm done, guys. Or something yeah. happens to him or yeah. her or whatever.
1: Yeah, something happens to us. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, injuries, that kind of thing. You oh, just, yeah. You just don't know. You know? No. no, I
0: just find it really fascinating. And and, and kind of making that transition or being aware of those realities and not putting your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really smart is it a challenge for you to think about not working as a drummer full time
1: yeah it is um, that's a, I actually uh, I talked with my dad about it a little bit and I said you know and and I'm being a little facetious here, but I said, I've made my living for the last 15 years by yeah. like screwing off, <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Like I've had a really good time, you yeah. know, I, I've, I've enjoyed uh, the gigs. I've enjoyed the traveling. You know, obviously there's challenges, but, um, but if, if I were to have to go back into like the workforce in a real capacity, that'd be a major adjustment, you know, a yes. major adjustment because we're used to having quite a bit of free time. Yes. And, creative thinking and, 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 and other outlets there, you know, being on the road affords us the opportunity to have the downtime during the day where we can go to the gym and we can do some of those things and we can explore (laughs) other outlets or other passions or whatever it is, you know, other, other things to learn. Right. So, you know, that is something that I would be apprehensive about, uh, you know, post touring whenever that day would come. But like I said, you know, I'm not in a hurry to get there, but I do understand that there is a lot out of our control. And I think if you're not if you're not actively planning what your future would look like, then you're already kind of a step behind, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed and I understand that, but you always have to have, you know, your ducks at least somewhat in a row mm-hmm. and understand like, you know, how would I pivot if that was forced upon me? Maybe that's a good way to put it, right? Like, cause I'm not looking to move. <clears throat> I'm not looking to do anything different, but- mm-hmm. If by circumstance or you know change in taste or whatever that is, that gig goes away, you know, I know so many people out there that would be left with nothing. Yeah. You know, and just scrambling. You know, especially if you have a good gig because you get used to a certain income level, a certain lifestyle level, right? You yeah. and then you go, Oh, this is gone. You know. Yeah. So if you're not if you're not aware of the possibility you know, then you can't put yourself and your family in a position to be okay if and when that day comes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. No, I feel yeah, I feel like I'm kinda of going through some of that transition now. Mm-hmm. And um just get your perspective on that. I think it's it's very wise yeah. to think about, to constantly think about that and prioritize things in such a way that is has to do that's more connected to real life and mm-hmm. real circumstances. Yeah. Because when we're younger, what inspires us to do this is based on kind of a lot of fantasy. Sure. And a lot of things that we come up with in our heads and we see, you yeah. know, on TV or see in real life and like, I want to do that. And then the reality set in, it's still great, yeah, but there's still life that has to happen, yeah. you know? So.
1: Well, and I, and for us too, it's a little bit different of a scenario because, what we grew up maybe idolizing and fantasizing about is different than what the industry is today. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, so yeah. if we're talking about kids that grew up in the seventies, eighties and nineties, mm-hmm. right. You're watching MTV, but you're watching bands, right. You know, handful of solo artists, right. But you're watching a lot of bands yeah. that are all participating in, in the various revenue streams. Right. So when those things slow down, you know, those royalties are still coming in. You know, so they're still afforded some of those opportunities where it's a different business, and that's okay. It's just a different model today yeah. that you have to be aware of. Yeah. You know, you're not generating passive income if you're not generating royalties. You know? right. So you know, if you're not in that position, if you're not writing songs or if you're not an artist or you're not doing something where you're getting points on these things, then you need to be aware that there could potentially be a shelf life
0: you know right and and your work and your future is at the mercy of somebody else or sure. something else
1: yeah
0: right i mean taking control and how do you do that as someone that plays an instrument that is doing mostly providing a supportive role you right. know for yeah, other people's, Secondary, right yeah. right but other people's projects and there's many examples of drummers that have taken control of their own career in one facet or another maybe mm-hmm. maybe as a writer as a band member as a band leader as a yeah. uh, you know uh, as a clinician or other kinds of things and, and these, these new outlets that are, are have afforded us uh, opportunities whether it's YouTube or other mm-hmm. things like that so it's really fascinating um, to see it and I don't fault anybody for pursuing these things just to gain some autonomy over yeah. the larger system if you want to continue to work within the industry I've also said that I don't know if I'll always play drums mm full- time as to make a living but I will always play drums yeah in some fashion yeah because I want to maintain that relationship with something that has given so much back to me and given me opportunities in life to experience things yeah uh, but if it means that I'm not a full-time player, that's okay too mm-hmm. you know so that's what I found I just I'm, that's why I was kind of curious to know. You know, because you you got a great gig. <clears throat> yeah, you're a great player, man. Thank you very much. Thank and you. and Likewise. just just to see that you're like these are all good, but these are my priorities, mm-hmm. and this is how I will. This is how I will go forward. Yeah, I've got control of this.
1: Trying <laughs> as much as anyone can, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I think you know. There's there's a there should always be a, a, a great blend of. Gratitude, and then you know, just real being realistic about things too. You know,
0: that's the part I have a hard time with.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: it's... I'm very grateful.
1: Yeah, so
0: grateful. Am I realistic about things? Not always.
1: <laughs> no, and I think that's human nature too, right? We romanticize things. I sure. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of the same. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, COVID was a little bit of a wake-up call to me that- um, For everybody,
2: for well, sure. Well,
1: just what I'm good at was not transferable immediately, mm-hmm. right? And like I said, I've always been very business-minded. So for me, that, that next step would just be to prepare and be in a position where- if I needed it, I could call upon it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love
1: it. You know, rather, you know, have and not need than need and not have.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's so, true. Yeah. Chris, thanks, man. Yeah, Matt, I, thank you. Yeah, I really absolute appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, dude, it's so fun. So fun. Good to see you. Good to yes. catch up. Um, thanks for all this information. And, uh, there's just a lot to unpack here.
1: I'm just I'm excited <laughs> yeah. for people. To We've hear. had a good yeah. conversation today. It's been awesome. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Awesome. So, Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks.
0: So there you have it. My conversation with Chris Marcourt. It's always great to see him and, uh, reconnect. I really appreciate the time that he gave us and being so candid with us about what he's considering for the future and, uh, something that is important to consider if uh, you are looking to do something beyond the music career or beyond drumming. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Seattle drummer Mike Musburger. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. And uh, stay safe and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.